If I was a high-end competitive racer, cross-country ski racer, and I wanted to really work on technique as well as uh, everything else, I would probably favor roller skis on a fast track for training purposes. If I'm a, a weekend warrior athlete like me, a guy who's been just wants to stay in shape, he's never going to be uh, you know, the, on, on, the, on the podium, you know, and wants to have the flexibility and the training and the aerobic conditioning, all the things you would get out of cross-country skiing, um, I would go for the Nordic cross skate, which to me is probably 98% of all cross the trails to the road to the track. If it's running, you'll find it right here on Trail Tales ARP. Run wild. Hello everybody in podcast land. Welcome to Trail Tales ARP, a running podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Sean Sobon. And today joining me from Fenland Falls is Mr. Gene Balfour. Gene has been running since 1975. He has competed in 18 marathons. Um, with his first one, like I had mentioned, in 1975 and last one in 2017. Also his first as a Nordic cross skater, which we're going to get into in the show. And Gene has also run in Boston and New York, amongst many others. And Gene's personal best for his marathon happened in 1980 at 2 hours, 54 minutes and 33 seconds. And Gene is also uh, part owner of Hardwood Ski and Bike in Barrie, Ontario. Gene, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure, Sean. It's going to be lots of fun talking about this stuff. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed the conversations we, we've had up until this point. And, you know, we've kind of touched on all the different things you've done. But um, why don't we start from the beginning here? We'll get into your running and then how things kind of transition into your new love now with the Nordic cross skating. And, and as you've told me, there's a bunch of differences uh, between Nordic cross skating and, and roller skiing, which we'll get into. Um, but yeah, let, take me back to 1975 or even prior to that, um, you know, with your origins in running, how did that begin for you? Well, I went to University of Waterloo from 1970 to 1975 in the co-op program. And that was a kinesiology program. So it's a Bachelor of Applied Science in, in kinesiology, which is uh, really the study of human performance. During that time, I was a teaching assistant on the faculty uh, on a couple of work terms. And, uh, and during that period, I started uh, getting close to some of the professors who were doing research. And they were doing research in exercise physiology, particularly for running because they were marathon runners. Uh, I also played on the varsity rugby team. And because I was in pretty good shape, these guys said to me, hey, look, Gene, you're, you look like you're in good shape. See if you can run to the Breslau with us. And the Breslau was a place five miles away where you drank beer. Okay. So I, so I said, well, if, if beer is there, I think I can make it, you know. <laughs> Motivation so, is key. There you go. So, so I went out with these guys and they were like, you know, 20 years older than I was. And, and they, they didn't struggle at all. It was an easy run for them. But me, it was, I was, felt like I was dying after five miles, you know. But I did it. Uh, and I got a taste at that point. So I, when I graduated a couple of months after that one run, um, I went to, I was at the Fitness Institute in Toronto. I was one of the instructors in the Fitness Institute. So when I went back full-time there, after I'd worked on two uh, work terms, uh, I said to one of the guys, I said, hey, I'm going to run a marathon in, in, um, in the fall. It's going to be the, uh, uh, the Kitchener-Waterloo Marathon, the Oktoberfest Marathon. Would you like to run it with me? And he said, yes. So the next thing I knew, he and I were out training regularly. And then I got another guy and another guy and another guy. And then before I knew it, I had six guys. And I was, uh, I was teaching exercise physiology to these runners at the time because I had a lot of knowledge in it. Mm -hmm. and, and I used to love that stuff. So I used to share it with people. So 
we ran the first marathon together, Rick and I. Um, Rick is now, by the way, he's the um, one of the counselors for the city of Oshawa. So he's uh, he's in the political world today, but but he was a professor at uh, Seneca, Seneca College for 33 years, I think it was. Okay. So he's a real athlete too. But anyhow, that's how I got into it. It was really more because of my academic interest in exercise physiology and my exposure to some professors that were running marathons. And, uh, and I figured I got to do it. The other thing is at that time, there was a famous author by the name of James Fix and James Fix was uh, had written the book on running at the time and and he made some kind of a claim that said something like uh, if a person runs a marathon they never have to worry about having a heart attack for the rest of their lives so we all thought that we were running so we would be we'd be able to live until we were 100 you know yeah but of course you know, years later you find that that's not the case right but but anyhow that's what that was one of the things that got me going and um so that's how I started. I ended up in cross-country ski racing a couple of years after that, um, when uh, the, the owner of the fitness institute, uh, Bill Gardner, he was a cross-country ski racer and a further, former, um, he was in the Canadian, he was in the Olympic team for Canada in Japan in 1964 in track and field. So he was a hell of an athlete. And uh, he one day talked me into buying some skis and the next thing I knew it, I was cross-country ski racing. I wasn't very good, but I was having fun. Um, anyhow, for the next five years, uh, my group and I, we continue to run marathons. And as I said, I, I, I got into 18 marathons, uh, of which I completed 13 because I used some of them for training runs. Um, and I also did a lot of road races, so 10 and 15 and 20 kilometer road races. So I did a fair bit of running back in those days. Okay. That's how it's good. Awesome. So I'm, you know, a very, a very seasoned running, running history there for you. Um, what was your what was your first marathon like? Um, you know, you, you definitely had the background in the exercise physiology. So did you design your own training plan or did you, you know, use the wisdom of some of the seasoned runners you knew? How did how did you figure that out for your first one? Well, um, I learned early about LSD running, long, slow distance running. And I knew enough about exercise physiology to know that to build an aerobic base, it takes a long time. You know, it's not something like you go for three months and you've got a good aerobic base. It's, it really takes years to build it properly. And so I, my running for the first, well, virtually all of my marathons was basically just long, slow distance running with my friends. And as long as we could run and talk at the same time, uh, you know, we were running at a good pace. Um, years later, I don't know if you know who Phil Maffetone is. Have yes, I do. Phil? Yes. Okay. So, so a few years back, I bought uh, Phil Maffetone's uh, big book. He's, he's a PhD in exercise physiology and probably uh, it's one of the more notorious, I guess, uh, long distance coaches. And, and so I read his book and it was an update to the stuff that I'd learned way back in 74, 75. Um, and it was good, but I learned about his uh, heart rate method where you take a target of 180 minus your age. And that would be the, the point at which uh, there would be a uh, you would begin to transition from aerobic training where you're burning fats uh, over to anaerobic where you're burn, burning carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And so I've been ever since the time I got his book, I continue to stay in LSD kind of running uh, quite religiously on my, um, you know, on making sure that I train in the right heart rate range. Although I do like some fart like training where I occasionally feel good one day and I'll, I'll go off and go at a race pace for a while and just have some fun. But, but a lot of the time it's LSD running. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, th there's a there's a lot, obviously, there's science behind that and everything. And, right. you know, it sounds like you're, you're paying attention to the heart rate now. But I think, you know, after some time, you can get a good feel as to where you are in that zone. And like you had mentioned, if you can keep it at a conversational pace, yeah. um, you're, you're probably in that in that area where you want to be. 
And um, yeah, I think, you know, adding, adding some stuff in like fartlek or, you know, speed play or intervals um, occasion as well. It's a good, good way to balance it. You know, if you've, they've talked about like the 80, 20 method where 80% is the LSD and then you do 20% of yeah. your, your volume at a, at a higher intensity. Um, it's interesting. I'm kind I of, never, a, I, had, I had never broken three hours until the very last marathon in Detroit. Yeah. And in Detroit, I decided I would change everything. And so I did my LSD for months and then I spent the last two months uh, still doing long distance on the weekend, but I would do uh, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays would be at the track doing 440s and 880s at race pace. And I and that's how I went from my previous best at three hours and three minutes down to 254 because uh, that addition of, of teaching my body to run efficiently at race pace uh, made a huge difference in terms of my efficiency. And that's how I knocked off about 10, uh, almost 10 minutes. Oh, wow. Amazing. So it just goes to show you, you know, kind of do some specific training and Yep. And you'll, you'll get some better results. But I think, you know, with that type of high intensity training as well, I mean, it leaves you susceptible to increased chance of injury and stuff like that. So you really got to be careful with it. It's, it's funny, too, because um, I'm working towards my Bachelor of Health Sciences, but I've got a science background as well. I'm a paramedic. I've been one for 18 years. So, yep. you know, I, I really enjoy like pharmacology and physiology and stuff like that. And I like to try to take what I'm what I've learned and kind of apply it into my running. Cause it's, it's just really fun. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so recently um, I, I did a, I did an article on, um, on some studies that they've shown with the high intensity interval training where, you know, it, within a fraction of the time um, you can kind of get the same physiological benefits as, as a longer uh, LSD type type training plan. So I kind of wanted to test that theory out on myself. And then I uh, figured it up, I'd up the ante and I'd add creatine into the mix because, you know, that's been shown to help with kind of explosive power and stuff like that. So right. I, I did that. I spent uh, some time at the track. This was back in November. So there was some snow and some conditions beyond my control, but I did some treadmill runs as well. But anyways, I ended up doing this for, it was a five week kind of plan that I did. I did three, three sessions at the track per week where I did uh, 400 meter intervals and 200 meter intervals, three each right. per session, one with creatine, one without. Anyways, I ended up, uh, you know, they have all these, these uh, smart watches now that can do your predictive yeah. VO2, VO2 max and stuff. So I had a big jump in my VO2 max and maximize it to where it's never been before. And then I did 5k time trial at the end of each session to see where I was at. And um, I almost hit my PB for my 5k. I was off by maybe 30 seconds or so, but my, P my PB was on a very flat course. This had a bit of incline and it had some weather to deal with. But anyways, it was it was a really fun experiment. And I did feel my fitness increase and everything. And and um, yeah, it was just it was just exciting to kind of do that. Just something fun to do for five weeks to carry me through the first part of the winter. Anyhow. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I know for me, the aerobic training, the aerobic cross skating, I should say, the uh, I started that almost nine years ago and um, every year I've gotten better. So I'm 69 years old now. And uh and I kept thinking that that I wouldn't get faster and better and more efficient at this age, but I did. So last year, I had a breakthrough year in my because I we I usually go out for twenty to twenty five kilometers at a time. Okay. And very often my average pace would be you know four four twenty to four thirty per kilometer. My my wife rides her bike with me, so I'd be doing a pace just comfortable pace for her and her bike. But last year, in the middle of the season, I started going under four minutes per kilometer for for twenty five kilometers. Wow. And, and I was moving along. I mean, I really flying and, and my heart rate would be, you know, 110, 115 at that pace. Okay. No yeah, I know. And so I, I'm just, I was thinking, yeah, this, it really finally got to the point with all this aerobic long distance training I've been doing on Nordic cross skates. Every year I seem, see an incremental improvement. 
you know, three or four years ago, my average would have been maybe 445 per kilometer. You know, when I started out, it would have been probably 550 a kilometer, but it's been coming down every year. I'm not, wow. I'll be interested to see what happens this year to see if it goes down beyond that. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's why I love talking to guys like Eugene, because, you know, where you're at now in your life, I hope to be able to be there when I get, when I get to be 69 years old, right? Like that's, that's yeah. kind of the goal for me. And it, it's just great to hear that, you know, you're still getting better. It's, yeah. it, that's phenomenal. I know Absolutely I was freaking out over it. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Telling my wife and just going nuts about it, you know, it was good. Yeah, absolutely. So, so um, you know, I want to get back to running just a little bit now. Um, so you've run in Boston. Um, what what was that experience like? Did you run it one time? Have you run it more than once? And what was qualifying like for you? What was what was that about? Because that's one of the premier marathons that somebody can run in, right? Right. Well, I ran that in nineteen seventy-eight. Okay. Right. So at that time, you didn't have to qualify for it. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I could just apply to go. And uh, I, I know afterward you had to have, uh, I think it was a three-hour marathon at that point. I probably would not qualify because my best was 303 at to that point. Um, so I ran. Uh, I, I was running with a guy uh, named Dave Cole. Uh, do you remember the, the Cole's bookstores? Yes. Many years well, David's father started and ran Cole's bookstores. So oh, he was okay. uh, he was one of my running. Yeah, he was he was the director of marketing for Cole's bookstores. But anyhow, Dave, Dave, when I first met him, he was a, a member of the fitness, fitness Institute. He was a heavy smoker three decks a day. He was uh, 220 pounds and five foot nine. And he was in terrible shape. He'd just come off a heart attack at the age of 28. And uh, so he came in as a as a as a member, and um, and over time he started doing some running, and then eventually started getting friendly with us, and then eventually he decided to run in our group. So, so I ran, I paced Dave Cole at Boston to his first marathon. So when I ran that, I was running along at a fairly slow pace. I wasn't going hard, but when I hit 20, 20 miles, I said, I said, Dave, you're on your own. I'm going to finish this thing off. So I ran that, finished it in three oh six, and uh, which you know. For, for the fact that I, I barely, I wasn't really trying for a best time, but I, I finished strong, really strong. Yeah. Uh, and then when I, when I finished, uh, I was engaged to be married to my first wife at that point. And she'd come in from New York City, which is where she was working. And uh, she came to see me run over the finish line. And, and, then, and then she had to run for her bus and the bus was taken off. So after the marathon was over, I sprinted down the road and chased the bus, got him to stop. So my wife, my, 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 uh, my wife could get on the bus at that time. And she thought I was crazy because I just finished running 26 miles and here I am sprinting down after a bus, you know? <laughs> you you but, still had some gas in the tank, eh? Yeah, but when, but, but when you're 27, you know, 28 years of age, I mean, you know, you can go forever. You can do crazy things and get away with it, you know? Yeah. It's a little harder it. to do it at my age. Yeah, absolutely. I'm even noticing it. Like I had mentioned to you earlier, um, I'm going to be 40 this year, but I'm already noticing. I think when I was about 37, 38, I started noticing some some pains, you know, especially some stiffnesses in the morning and stuff. So I had to get moving around before you start to feel limber again. So it's just kind of kind of age catching up, I guess. But, yep. uh, you know, I had a guest on the show. Well, yeah. just... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just going to say that all of us end up getting osteoarthritis to some extent over a period of time. Yeah, all of abs- us. absolutely. So, so the more you can do to prepare your joints uh, before you go out for a run, stretching is good but even putting an extra heat on your joints especially your knees and, and ankles and stuff and it, it helps you know it, it uh, you want to get the joints um lubricated and and heat helps that before you get started and if i was going to tell anybody any young person about running i would make sure that it, that they understood that because otherwise 
they will pay the price down the road if they don't do that. I guarantee it. Yeah. And you know, that's really good advice because when I do talk to people a lot of times, there's, there seems to be this, uh, some confusion, I guess, as to, you know, should I be using heat? Should I be using ice and things like that? You know, usually it's, it's in regards to like, you know, an injury or whatever, but uh, no, you bring up a very good point where pre-exercise, if you apply some heat to the joints and stuff, that'll definitely increase the yeah. blood flow there and kind of get things ready for movement for sure. Well, it could be either heat or ice. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But heat, I think, is generally more more convenient, you know. But yeah. but uh, I use um, things like biofreeze. You know, biofreeze could help. But uh, you know, I, I like a heating pad myself just to put it on for a little while. You know, before I go out for Nordic skate, I you know I'd off, often use a thumper and and thump my joints to make sure they're all ready to go. You know, so it makes a difference. Yeah. So and you have you, a yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say it sounds like you have a pretty good uh, ritual before you before you actually head out to get your activity in. Yeah, I do most of the time do it occasionally. My, my wife rides her bicycle with me when I'm Nordic skating. And, and she's just as excited about our activity. We call it Skyke and Bike. because Skyke is the brand I started with. Okay. Um, and so she sometimes wants to rush me out the door. So sometimes I don't always get the, the warm up I want, but I start slow, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And even, and even in my marathons, I start slow. I, I never start fast. I let all the rabbits go and I, I let them run down the road. And then what I do is I, I pick them off one by one through the middle of the race psychologically that's really good yeah absolutely and that's that's such a hard strategy to employ because i think you have all that all that nervous energy at the start line and i you know when i talk to a lot of other runners they say i always have this this problem because i start off too fast and then i gotta yep. gotta you know take off take off the gas pedal but uh yeah if you yep. if you can commit yourself to kind of starting off slow and then like you said let everybody kind of burn themselves out a little bit and then you can start yep. picking them off and, and gaining speed. What a great yep. strategy, but I think it's definitely easier said than done just because of yeah. all that, all, the, all those race day jitters and nervous energy, eh? Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, but it's exciting. I mean, I, I, but you know, I had pretty good discipline after a while, after, after going out too fast a few times, you know, I, I figured it out, you know, I mean, I hit the wall a few times and I hit the wall in the days when I went out too fast, you yeah. know, and hitting the wall is not a pleasant experience. I mean, as you, if you've ever done it, it's really not pleasant. So. Yeah, no, I have it. That's a, it's a lot of suffering. <laughs> it is, it is. But yeah. you learn from it. You know, you say, I'm not, I'm not going to do this again. So, but yeah. once you're warmed up, once you get in the zone, you know, once your body's floating along and, and uh, in, in a comfortable routine, and you know from your body, your body's telling you whether you're comfortable or not, whether you can sustain it or not. Yeah, and I was competitive, so you know, every once in a while I'd surge a little bit, and I'd have to catch myself because I was I wanted to catch that next guy. So, but I had to realize that I need to be patient. Uh, he might have been a hundred yards down the road from me, but you know, if it takes me two kilometers to get him, so what? You know, I'll get him, and that was that's the way I looked at it. Yeah, let me ask you: Have you ever have you ever you know had somebody in your sights and you were just feeling like you weren't going to catch them? Oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> There's a lot of runners better than me, believe me. <laughs> You know, yeah. if, if I finished in the top 20%, I considered myself good <laughs> that day. <laughs> I was not a competitive marathon runner. I was not, I was participating in marathoning and trying to look for my own personal best, Yeah. but, but I wasn't really trying to measure myself much against anybody else, except for one of the guys in my group. And we had a competitive edge with, against each other. So there you go. And, and that you bring up a, a couple of great points. I think one of the beautiful things about running is, um, especially for non-elite athletes, you know, um, you can have ranges in, in, in ability, but um, at the end of the day, you really are competing against yourself and against your personal best and your training and stuff. Yeah. But, but, you know, you also bring up your second great point is 
if you can find somebody where you you kind of like to compete with you can it's almost like iron sharpens iron and you guys build off each other right and, and you yep. improve each other and i have a friend like that as well who i do martial arts with and stuff and and w when we're there together we just kind of pick it up an extra level and we both perform better because of it so yeah yep. it's 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 really important it's it's a great thing to have but it's also good for camaraderie you know Oh, you, throw, you throw a threat, little threat out at him, you know, <laughs> and he chuckles, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I sure doubt for you. Know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. Join Sean Sobon and the Trail Tales ARP Nation for the Girls on the Run 25th birthday virtual celebration on Thursday, March 25th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is a live stream event and it will include a keynote address from Hoda Kotb, a discussion panel with experts and athletes about building confidence in girls through physical activity and more. The event is free for all to attend. Each of us plays an important role in supporting girls and raising the next generation of confident, strong, healthy women. Right now, girls are feeling increased levels of loneliness, isolation, and depression brought on by the pandemic. Programs offered by Girls on the Run help to combat these things, providing girls with a positive and authentic connection. Come celebrate and support the inherent power and courage of girls by RSVP to the virtual event. Please go to girlsontherun.org slash GOTR-25. So Jean, let's let's get into your transition here into the Nordic cross skating. So um, you said it's been about nine years since you've been into it? Yeah, um, it came about because uh, I bought into hardwood ski and bike 12 years ago. Okay. And, uh, and I was, uh, you know, cross-country skiing had become my favorite sport. I, I just loved uh, being out in the trails and stuff. And so when I heard the business was for sale and I knew there was a bunch of guys getting together, I bought into it. Um, and when I did that, I got, you know, a, a little bit more insight in terms of the operation of the place. And I get to know some of the the athletes, you know, you know, other people that I didn't get to know when I was just a casual, you know, customer. Mm -hmm. uh, one year, um, I guess nearly 10 years ago now, the, the Masters racing team, and I wasn't on that, but I heard the stories. The Masters racing team went to Italy and they raced up in the Alps. And uh, during the day, they'd go down to the ocean front where they had a pension and there was no snow down there. And they'd see these, uh, these German guides whipping around on something they'd never seen before. It looked like skis, but it was wheels on skis. And they, they learned out fairly quickly that these were th things were called skikes. And so they bought, bought three pairs of skikes and brought them back uh, to Canada. Um, and because I was an owner, I got a chance to get my hands on a pair. Um, I had bought a pair of roller skis before that, and I didn't like them because I was living in Thornhill. And it was, uh, there was a lot of traffic. Uh, the roads weren't ideal. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't break when there was traffic around. So I found it dangerous. I just, just you know, I was never motivated to go out and use them. Right, but I but anyway, I got a pair of these Nordic skates, and I went and used them, and started going all over the place, and uh, and I realized that this was really what I wanted to do. So I bought my own pair. I, I imported them from Germany because you couldn't buy them in Canada at the time, and uh, so I got started on that. And then, um, you know, my first year, I just did I think it was six hundred kilometers. The next year was sixteen hundred kilometers, and the year after that it was two thousand, and I kept doing two thousand every year up until last year. Uh, so I've been doing it a lot, uh, and it's just become I'm passionate about it. I just love the sport. Um, it's now by far my number one sport, my, my favorite of all time. Part of the reason why I picked it and why I got into it is, is well, two things. One is I've always liked the 
the convenience of running. You know, you got a pair of running shoes and shorts and you can go wherever you want to go. So that Absolutely. was great. But uh, you couldn't do that cross-country skiing. Uh, but with roller, with Nordic cross skating, I, I can go into my garage, I can put my tunes on my head, I can throw on my gear and I can go down my driveway and disappear for an hour and a half and come back again, having done 20 to 25K and then hit the showers. So the, the convenience factor really made a huge difference, but, but also the, the, the joy of getting out uh, nine months of the year. In fact, Cynthia and I got out for our first, first Nordic skate, uh, bike and skike about a week ago now. Uh, so we've already been out once this year and we're just waiting for the roads to clear a little bit more and then we'll be back into our routine again. And that'll yeah. go to December, you know, December 1st. Typically, I go all the way till then. Yeah, so you have a, a pretty long season. And um, yeah. be before we carry on into this conversation, I've got Alex Maycock. So he's coming in at the right oh, time. So nice. Alex Alex is uh, my fellow co-host with Coach Talk. And uh, he's also, like I said, a, a, a cross-country skier, quite competitive. There's Alex there. Hey, Alex, how are you? Good. My apologies. Practice went later than I intended. Sorry. No, that. no that's okay. Alex, uh, please meet uh, Mr. Gene Balfour. Gene, this is Alex Maycock. Hi, Alex. How are you doing? Great. Thanks. Nice to meet you. you so, too. Alex, Alex, we were just talking about Gene's running, and you know he's run 18 marathons and completed 13 of them um, because he used some for training purposes. And we just were talking about how um, Gene got into Nordic cross skating and he was, you know, a cross country skier and really fell in love with it. And then uh, he just gave us the, the quick story as to how he got uh, involved in the Nordic cross skates and it, the origins were in, were in Italy where they, they saw these, uh, it was the German Germans, right? That were doing this. Yeah, this it was the Germans, yeah. And they brought yeah. back these cross skates and uh, Gene got kind of got introduced into them. And, and Gene was telling me a little bit about the differences between roller skis and cross skates. I don't know if you've seen these. Alex, Alex. Did you see this, Alex? Yeah, that's cool. I've never seen those. Right. So these are our roller skis on steroids. Hmm. Okay. So th this here is an eight inch. You can see it's a mountain bike tire. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's air filled to 50 PSI, eight yeah. inches in diameter. That's my brake. And the brakes are fabulous. Uh, they'll stop you on the diamond or on both feet. You put on a pair of running shoes. So no, no bindings, nothing, just put a pair of running shoes. And the, the cross-country ski poles that you use right now for training, mm -hmm. you take off the tips, you put on ferrules. So you want, mm -hmm. these are carbide tips and the carbide tips will, will bite into the asphalt for you. And just like cross-country skiing or skate skiing, 70% of the power comes from your upper body. So this is this is a step and a glide as opposed to a push like a hockey or in anything else. Mm. So very, very, very much like skate skiing, very much like it. The difference for me is is that the the purchase uh, of the of the wheels on the asphalt is far more reliable than the purchase of a ski on snow. Mm. And so when you get out and do this, you find that after a while you get comfortable with it, you find that that it's it's your step and glide is so predictable. You do it without thinking after a while. You just you mindlessly ski, just like you would do on a nice flat day on a, on a flat ski on the snow, you know? So this is preparing you for, for on snow skate skiing. Well, that's just the way not through roller skis. Well, that's the way it started. Right? Okay. But what, but what it, what I did is once I started getting into Nordic cross skating, I would much prefer to spend a day on Nordic cross skates than I would on, on snow skis. Okay. It's and are, better, it's a better sport for me. Okay. And are, so the skates you need ice for the Nordic cross skate. No, no, I, no, no, I do this. I start. In fact, I did my first skate last week. 
So mm. as long as as long as the roads are dry, and as long as it's plus two degrees Celsius or above, and I go from usually from about April the first all the way to December the first. So my season is you know nearly nine months long. Right. That's why I've been doing two thousand kilometers a year in training. Mm-hmm. I have fourteen thousand kilometers in the last eight years. Mm. So if you're looking to build an aerobic base for skate skiing mm-hmm. for for the winter time. This is the this will offer you far more flexibility than you would have uh, in, in anything else, including roller skis. Now, what I should say is I I did one marathon on my Nordic cross skates in Duluth, Minnesota, uh, in, three years ago. All right, so there down there, there's something called the North Shore Marathon. You can look it up. You'll find it there. They're I think they're in their 25th season now. And the North mm-hmm. Shore Marathon there's two parts to it. There's a inline skating marathon. And the year I was there, there was 1,800 inline skaters who were doing their marathon, a full, full 42 kilometers. And then there was a smaller roller ski division. So these were winter skiers like you who had roller skis. And so there was 60 of us, roughly 60 of us. Mm-hmm. And, I was, and I was the only one on Nordic cross skates and I had to talk my way into it because when I called the organizer of the event up and I said, I, I've been wanting to get into, I want to complete a marathon on these Nordic cross skates and, and, the, and the running races won't let me in. I've, mm-hmm. tried, I've tried a bunch and they all, they all told me I couldn't do it. It was too dangerous, they said. They never saw me ski, but anyhow. <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I talked him into it and he said, okay, let's do it, let's try it. So I showed up and I, and I did the full marathon. And I think at the starting line, when everybody saw me on these big clunky skis, they looked, they looked at me as if, you know, you really think you're gonna finish a marathon on that, you know? And when I came in, when I came in over the finish line at two hours and 45 minutes, they were shocked. You know, they were really shocked. I got, I got people were cheering, you know, nice. it was hilarious. How, how did you finish in the race? What was the winning time? Uh, well, how did you place? the ro- roller skis are a lot faster. So mm-hmm. Nordic cross skates are designed to s- simulate the same speed as cross country skiing on snow mm-hmm. skis. Whereas uh, in my, I found roller skis were, uh, were designed to go faster. So I was uh, the second oldest guy in the event of 60 guys. Um, and I was not last, but I was fairly close to last. I think the winning time would have been about an hour faster than mine, but I didn't do it for speed. I didn't do it to win anything. I did it because I, because I wanted to do a marathon in Nordic cross skates and, right. that. and it was fun. Yeah. Cool. Was yeah. I'd do it again too, if I could, but you know, we'll see. Yeah. Gene, let me ask you with, with the wheels there, like you said, they're, they're very uh, akin to mountain bike tires. Um, are you able to get different type of, of tread patterns on them? Or is it just one typical tread pattern there where you got those, uh, knobs on there? I've seen three so far. Um, you have in in Germany, just so you know, Nordic cross skating is big in Germany. So if you were in Germany right now and you want to go buy a pair of Nordic cross skates, you would have something like 350 retail stores selling these things. 350 euros. Okay. It's big here in North America. Or here in Canada, I only know of a single person who sells them, and he's a friend of mine, Phil, uh, Phil Shaw, in Montreal, and he does it out of his basement. You know, he 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 gets a big supply, he advertises, and he sells them. He sells right across. You know, so there is no, there's a very small market here because no one's promoted it. Yeah. Um, but but those, but I've looked on the internet because all these, every one of these, uh, there's five different brands of Nordic cross skates. They're all made in Germany, every one of them, um, and uh, I've seen three different types of wheels. So there is a wheel that would be more of a road wheel where there's less of the knobbiness to it. And there's another wheel that I have. I got a, I have five pairs of Nordic skates downstairs. So one of them I use this time of the year when the, when it's colder and uh, when it's uh, it's a little rougher and it's got more nubs on them. 
So, uh, so I use that for probably a couple of months until it gets to be about 10 degrees consistently. Then I move over to my, my SRB brand, uh, which is my preferred brand. Okay. Yeah, um, I still have my original, my, I still have my original Skikes, but I, I don't think I've been on them in about three years. Okay. Has the technology changed much over the years with, with the roller skates? When I first skates? started, the only size of tire was uh, one inch wide and six inches in diameter. So there was a lighter, uh, a smaller wheel, lighter frame. Uh, but I moved from the city because uh, I used to use Skikes all the time. Skikes were the ones that I used with the smaller tires. But I lived in the city and back then that size of tire um, and their brakes were suitable for that area just because of what I was doing. But when I came to the country and the roads were rougher here, they, I think they use a, a more grainy asphalt here. So the roads are yeah. rougher and the wheels don't run as smoothly. So when I moved over to, I bought a pair of Nordic Scouts, which are was the first pair I saw on the market that had the bigger wheels. And I bought them from Germany. And uh, I tried them out on the, on the you know, the, rump, the bumpy roads and the, and the, rail, the, 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 rail, the rail trails around here. And it worked out great. So I've been on the big wheels ever since. And that's yeah. been four years now. That's one of the really appealing things about the sport, I think, is the ability to kind of go on different terrains. You're not, you're not limited yeah. to just being on the asphalt, like getting out onto a rail trail or something, or you yep. know, a nice, a nice hiking path. That's not, not a single track, but something that's a little bit wider, like is, is feasible. And that's really exciting. And how would you say they handle on, on that kind of gravel, gravel terrain? They're great. Yeah. <laughs> it's fabulous. Oh yeah. 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 Now what's the cost? What's the cost oh. per um, pair? For a pair, um, if you were looking at what Phil is selling, Phil is selling SRBs and Skikes, which are the two major brands. And I think that his, if you were going to his site, I think they're around roughly $1,000 for a pair. Okay. And then you get your poles. So I was getting all my poles and other gear at, at virtually cost because I was an owner of hardware, am an owner of hardwood skiing bikes. So I was getting my poles and helmets and everything I wanted to get, I could get it there. Mm-hmm. Not everybody else had that privilege, but... Uh, but you get to, and I'm trying to get Phil Shaw actually to start selling some of the, because I, I wear hip padded, like I wear a pair of shorts that have got hip pads on them. Okay. They're made by G form, because if you do fall and you fall on asphalt, you want to protect your joints. So I've got uh, elbow pads, I've got uh, knee pads, I've got hip pads, um, because after 14,000 kilometers, you can imagine I've, I've fallen a couple of times, you know. Oh boy, yeah. Uh, but, and a good helmet. And, um, you know, I, I wear gloves too, because after a while, the poles start to, develop friction points in your hands so i wear gloves too but but other than that uh they're smooth uh they ride really well the braking is incredibly good um but i right now cynthia and i we've got maybe i'd say 12 different routes that we go to so on a really windy day if we don't want to face a lot of wind there's there's a there's a path out here that'd be about a round trip of about 20k that is fairly well protected with tall trees so we take that if it was 95 degrees outside or, or 30 degrees Celsius, uh, there is a path that goes along one of the, the, uh, the lakes up here. So there's always a breeze coming off that. So we go there. If I want to do a really challenging hill course and kind of build that technique for me, do a lot more climbing, I go to Burry's Green and that's another one that's really challenging. If I want to just go out and, and, and glide and just coast and have a nice spin, you know, uh, I've got probably three different locations where the hills are modest and I can just I can just glide and coast and you know have a good time. Yeah. And Cynthia keeps me company. Yeah. And I'm always listening to podcasts. I'm constantly listening to podcasts. 
There you go. You know, you mentioned Burry's Green, and that's a that's a road I'm quite familiar with. I've done several mountain bike or road bike rides across there on my mountain bike, and and runs across right. there too when I'm feeling like getting some hill training. And that's a that's a fun. That's road a good hill. On. Well, imagine imagine skating up those hills on skates like that. Oh my goodness, yeah, especially that's in the hot weather, that would be pretty taxing. Oh yeah, no, it is. Yeah, some some of the I can do the whole hills. That's not a problem anymore. But I certainly am feeling it at the top. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I wanted to ask Eugene um, real quick. I, I can't. I don't think you addressed it, but I want to ask. So you had mentioned, you know, the temperature for you to get out has to be two degrees or above. Is that because it's just a comfort issue for you or is it because it affects the way the skis perform? Um, you don't have winter tires on on mountain bikes. So with winter tires on cars, of course, you get a softer rubber in the wintertime. Yeah. Uh, the rubber hardens up um, when it starts getting cold. And so the grip is not always wonderful. And I, I always, I'd rather be a couple of degrees above freezing because I don't want to run into an ice patch. Gotcha. Uh, so I do it really more to stay away from, you know, a slippery surface that might cause me to wipe out. Um, yeah, yeah. I, that's why we do it. Okay. Makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think I mean, the yeah, I just got to say there's snow everywhere around us even now, but as long as the roads, there's a neighborhood down here uh, just outside of uh, Bob Cajun, in fact, um, and it, it's, a, it's called uh, oh, something 32. Anyhow, but port, it's port 32 I port believe. 32 that's the yeah. one yeah so we go into port 32 and you can the road roads are all clear and this time of the year i can go in there for a month and uh and do all my early training and get started and then when the when the roads are all clear then i go down county road 24 we start going down there or we go over to uh there's just a lot of places we start to pick out you know nice do you find uh early on in the season um i guess my first question is do you do anything in your in your off season after kind of December first to kind of to kind of stay in shape, or do you just kind of take it easy and then come springtime you get back into it slowly? Um, yeah, I, I, I do a few things. I was playing hockey twice a week. Okay, uh, but I've given that up uh, this this past year. So I'm uh, I've now got osteoarthritis in my left knee, and I and I'd rather not aggravate it. So I decided to give up hockey. Um, but I also have a, a good uh, cycling bike downstairs, so I'll, I'll cycle. Um, you know, like I like watching golf, for example. So, so I'll watch golf and sit on my bike and cycle. You know, or listen to a podcast and I'll cycle. Um, other than that, you know, a lot of it's just walking our dogs. Yeah. Uh, you know, lifting all the odd weights here and there. You know, just a little bit. But you know, I do get out of shape. But I'm I'm now such a proficient skier that getting back into skiing is like falling off a log for me now. Yeah. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Alex, I know I think you had something you want to talk about, Alex, but just real quick, I want to let you know. Um, Gene has a background in, in sports physiology as well. Uh, he went to University of Waterloo and has a background in kinesiology and stuff. And that's very similar to what you're doing. So I was telling him about, you know, our kind of interest in, in physiology and everything like that and how we can uh, incorporate it into our training and everything. So it's a very similar background. But go ahead, Alex. I thought you had something to say. You look like you're going to mention something. Yeah. So what's cool when we think about, um, the cost of the skates being a thousand bucks when you factor in a pair of roller skis with bindings with ski boots you're you're again going to be at, at least a thousand bucks and right. for be beginners who maybe want more safety and not as fast of a ski these skates might make more sense um they can just use their running shoes a bit so you know bindings maybe 100 bucks roller skis 300 500 pair yep. of boots 400 to 700 so yep we we sell them at hardwood skiing bike the roller skis hmm. 
And three years ago, I was trying to get them to sell the SRB brand of donut. Uh, uh, so I bought three pairs of SRB Carnot cross skates from Germany. Hmm. And uh, we put them up, but I don't know if you knew much about uh, hardwood, but we had our main building burned down three years ago. Hmm. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. So, and I've been on the board. I'm on the board for the last four or five years now. And so we had to uh, recover from that. So we had to go through the insurance and we had to get uh, a new architect building design come through. So we now have a, a beautiful lodge that we didn't have you know, four years ago. Um, and we've been prioritizing on getting through this COVID pandemic and, and also through the fire situation. So uh, I'm going to reintroduce the idea of trying to sell Nordic cross skates through hardwood and not just the skates, but all the supportive gear as well. Cause, cause all, everything we sell for mountain bikes, a lot of the stuff there is very suitable for protecting you if you're, if you're a Nordic cross skater. Mm. Uh, so that's something I'm hoping will happen, but you know, it's, it'll be a little while now. I think the COVID thing is still distracting everybody. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's things are up in the air in terms of having, you know, live events and stuff like that. Um, yeah. but I know I've never been to hardwood and that's a shame, but, um, are the trails there suitable for, for doing Nordic cross skating there? No, no. That's no. why, uh, they were, they were reluctant to do it because they wanted to sell gear that would, they could, that people could use on the trails. Yeah. But those trails are really more mountain bike trails. Um, yeah. so I, I wouldn't try to do it. I mean, I probably a really good, you know, uh, high-end competitive cross-country skier could probably would, could probably be fine with it, but I, I wouldn't find it fun. You know, I'd much rather be on a backcountry road with asphalt and, uh, or, or a rail trail. Like we have about, uh, oh, I'd say not even a kilometer from where I am is access to a rail trail system throughout Ontario. And uh, so I can, I can uh, Nordic skate right into Fenland Falls and come back again on the same trail that's going along the lake, you know. Yeah. Uh, so again, on a hot day, that's a good, that's a good run for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Alex, um, you had a training session today. Just want to ask real quick, how did that go? That's why you're a little good. bit late joining. It was good. Yeah, we did a 7.5 K skate time trial. And as you know, there's been quite a few freeze thaw cycles lately. So we were on fast snow today. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Have you ever good. watched, have you ever watched the, um, uh, in Norway, there is a roller ski race that goes up the side of a fjord. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it called blink races. Yeah. You ever watched them? Yeah. That, that inspires me. I used to watch, I used to go to bed at night and I used to watch blink races as, as I was going to sleep. And I watched nice. the men and the women, but in the, in the, the name of the town, it's right on the ocean and there's a fjord and they go up the fjord at 20 degrees for the whole distance of 7.5 kilometers. And they do it in like a half an hour. Like it's crazy, yeah. you know, to see what these guys do. It's unbelievable. So, uh, that's my inspiration. That used to be my inspiration all the time watching these people. That's impressive. Yeah, you got to watch. You got to check it out, man. <laughs> yeah, really no, I've I've I lo love watching those Scandinavian roller ski races. It's yeah. pretty incredible the fitness that the the top yeah. athletes in the sport have, and yeah. they're they're so economical with their movements. Like they know what they're doing. Yeah. Oh yeah, and even in the wintertime when they're racing too, there there's some really incredible uh, racer skiers, you know. Right. Leave all those guys. Yeah. Hey, Gene, you'd probably like, uh, Alex has a YouTube channel and he, every once in a while, he puts up a video of different types of like skate ski techniques and things like that to try to maximize your movement and efficiency. And, uh, they're pretty right. good. I, I mean, I'm not a skier, but I watch them and I, I like, you know what you're talking about, obviously. And, and I yeah. definitely have some interest, uh, 
in trying to get get into the sport because it's it's I love exploring new things and trying new things and you know like like I was saying Gene earlier like guys like you you know you started off with running and now you've transitioned it just goes to show you that you know you can you can live that active lifestyle well yeah. beyond retirement and keep on going and stuff and and Alex promising um for us is uh gene's still been improving with his with his overall times and everything i can't remember the time yeah. i mentioned gene but why don't you remind us now because yeah. it's remarkable yeah yeah la- last year alex i found myself in the middle of the summer i was my average time for a kilometer on a 25 kilometer run it got under four minutes for the first time on a consistent basis mm-hmm. um and and for an old guy i was pretty proud of that because i used to be when I first started, it would be five to five and a half minutes. I was pretty slow and inefficient, but every season I would be getting better and better and better. And last year at the age of, you know, I was 69 last summer. So at that, at that point, I was still getting better. And I just couldn't believe it. You know, that the, the aerobic training, the conditioning I've been doing, all of those uh, kilometers were still paying off at my age. Wow. Yep. And the other thing is about going to cross skating is I found with running, I mean, I did, like I said, I was in 18 marathons and maybe another 20 or 25 road races. Uh, don't know how many cross-country ski races when I was all in my 20s, you know, in the early 30s. And, uh, and I think over the years um, that that uh, paid a toll because of the pounding, because the running shoes you have today are so much better. Back then, the stuff that we had was a joke. You wouldn't believe what we were running in. It could have, would have been better in bare feet, I think. But, uh, but I think, you know, I... Um, you know, now I'm older, I've got, I've got osteoarthritis in both of my hips and in my left knee. And everyone gets it. I mean, the thing is, is that it's at a point now where I look back and I say, if I had maybe worn better shoes or, or maybe stretched more before I went out for a run or, or did a number of things that might have prepared my joints to perform better with, with less friction and less stress. If I had done all of that early before I, in my earlier age, you know, without trying to be the kamikaze young man that I used to be, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if I had done that, I wonder if I would be you know, dealing with the osteoarthritis today. Yeah, for sure. So anybody who's listening to us, who's, who's a little bit younger, take, take those words of wisdom to heart and, and listen because <laughs> I'm sure Gene, if you could go back I got to yourself, the gray, I, I have the gray hair guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you you know, with, with, with years comes wisdom, man. So I definitely appreciate, appreciate that advice too. So yeah, yeah, that's good yeah. stuff. Did you get in? Go ahead. Yeah. Did you get into any research um, in your university studies? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, when I did my, it was an honors bachelor of science, right? Okay. And uh, in our last year in the course, we had to do a research project. So mm-hmm. I did a, my own research project. I, uh, it was basically studying the, the biomechanical forces in the hip and the knee and the ankle for running. So I had a treadmill and I had a very, very unsophisticated technology compared to today. And then I would capture the data. And I'd feed it through a computer on computer cards, guys. Because <laughs> this was, that was no kidding. They used to have a Honeywell mainframe and we used to use a card reader to enter our data. <laughs> That's how far back it goes. But yeah, we, we did that. Then we'd get a printout and then we, we'd you know, use our, my, our, my studies in statistics and apply the, the data analysis and then wrote a report. But we had, we'd taken a full course first on the scientific method and how to conduct a proper experiment. Uh, which has been one of the best things I've ever learned because I, I can read a scientific paper um, in probably any field. I can determine whether it's well done or not, whether they've got the right controls in place, et cetera. Uh, also, when I was a teaching assistant and I used to teach, some of the professors would let me teach some of the, some of the, um, the labs and also some of the lectures. Uh, but um, 
back in those days, uh, uh, just lost my train of thought. <laughs> Anyhow, it, it may come back. So yeah, we we're just talking about, um, I guess Alex was asking if you had done any research and stuff like that. So yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was a guinea pig for a number of their research uh, studies. Uh, member one in particular, where they wanted to take a, a, a muscle biopsy. So they had to cut a, a hole in your leg and your thigh. Oh my goodness. And then they'd take a big needle and they dig it into your thigh and they'd grind out a piece of muscle tissue and then they'd sew it back up again or at least link it back up again. So I did that a few times. And that, the idea of that was to try to study some of the enzymes and the enzyme activity. Because I remember one, uh, there was one aerobic training session where we had uh, three groups. Uh, one was an LSD group. Uh, one was a, a fartlek group. And then the other one was a, um, um, an interval training group uh, with 30, 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off at a certain pace. Hmm. And uh, at the end of that, they wanted to see which group had the best aerobic performance. And they also looked at enzymes related to uh, fast twitch and slow twitch muscle fibers. So they wanted to see if there was what kind of enzymatic changes there were. So they were measuring certain enzymes. And they could also determine what proportion of slow twitch and fast twitch muscle fiber you had, hmm. uh, which was always of interest to me because uh, Obviously, if you have a lot of slow twitch muscle fiber, you're better you're better suited to long distance running. You've got an mm -hmm. advantage altogether. Uh, whereas I was a very good hockey player in my day as well, and uh, I was more fast twitch. So for me to even run a three hour marathon it was was uh, was uh, something I didn't expect I'd be able to do. You know. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you attribute that to a lot of the LSD running that you did to kind of uh, improve your base to get your faster marathon times? Yeah, I mean every the mitochondria. Uh, there's mitochondria in slow and fast twitch fibers. So that's the energy center. And, mm -hmm. and so the enzyme, you can affect the enzymes on, on both. But if you're doing LSD training, uh, the LSD training is still dealing you know, with the Krebs cycle uh, enzymes. And it didn't matter whether those enzymes are in the fast twitch muscle fiber or slow twitch, although, although there would be a preponderance of, of better Krebs cycle enzymatic, enzymatic activity in the red, uh, red uh, um, uh, fast twitch, or sorry, sorry, slow twitch muscle fiber. But, you know, uh, I think that in the end, uh, every fiber that you use for running or for any activity gets some aerobic benefit. Just some fibers get more than the others. That's all it comes down to. And there may be some trainability of those fibers able to convert them, what used to be a type one, into more of a type two or vice versa yeah. just through the training that you do. And it's interesting. I've read about that, yeah. Yeah, cross-country yeah. skiing, it's, I'd argue there's, a little bit more type two importance when you look at the terrain yep. or trying to really work hard and aggressive for 30 to 90 second uphill bouts and then you try to yep. rest so you definitely need that glycolytic capacity not just totally oxidative no i agree totally agree mm -hmm. yeah I that might be, uh, yeah that oh, might be oh. one of the reasons why i did okay in cross-country ski racing when i was doing it because i think i had a good balance of those uh of those types of muscle fiber and in and that is the kind of sport that would benefit from a balance, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting. I have a, my work partner, he's a, he's a competitive cyclist and master's division now and everything. And, you know, he's always talking about, well, this guy's a sprinter, this guy's, this guy's a climber, things like that. Right. So everybody has kind yeah. of their, their specialties. Right. And then you have like the well-rounded guys that are kind of, you know, Jack of all trades and yeah, yeah it's interesting. It's, I guess, you know, it, the beautiful thing about the body is, you know, 
the way you treat it, it will, it will adapt to whatever you do. Right. Like I used to right. be, I used to be big into yeah. bodybuilding and weightlifting. And then, you know, I've gotten into running now in my body, I've seen my body change. Right. And it's just kind yes. of, you mold it to what you're doing and it, it will respond over time. So it's, it's a really well, remarkable uh, thing for sure. Well, when I was on the varsity rugby team, of course I was much more muscle bound, you know? And yeah. so I bulked up, went to the gym, did lifted weights, that kind of stuff. So I was a different body frame for sure. And then, um, and I, I was maybe 175, 180 pounds and my best, my lowest marathon running weight, I was about 156. And that would have been, uh, maybe five years later, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I really stripped it down. And yeah. even for my skiing, it, it's a fine line for how much mass you want for the power application, little yep. different than running. It's all about that light lean build. So yep. right now I, I weigh in about 170. Whereas if I was to be the, best runner i could be probably 155 would be better that's right yeah i have a lot more mass in the in the quads than you'd want for running yeah I'll tell you. about six feet yeah that's uh, yeah. that's pretty slender for six feet that's good yeah yeah i remember i remember the first time i went out for a run with alex where we met in a parking lot and i hadn't met him in person yet and i could pick him out from a mile away because i could see the size of his quads and like holy smokes that's got to be him <laughs> massive quads <laughs> yeah. I, we used to call them thunder thighs thunder yeah. thighs yeah I, I i use the term quadzilla <laughs> <laughs> that works yeah yeah no it's yeah. interesting yeah I, I mean even with my running now like i'm i'm about all 510 just under 511 and i'm 168 now and i've been down to 155 but i felt a little bit too late at mm -hmm. that um but you know 168 yeah. for me is, is is i'm pretty happy there I think. Mm -hmm. Right. So I've, I've, I, you know, I don't, my body goes against me when it comes to like the, the distance running because, you know, I've got bigger, stronger legs, more suitable for sprinting and stuff like that. And that's kind of, yep. you know, when I was growing up with soccer and, you know, I did like hundred meter, 200 meters on the track and stuff goes into my, my, yeah. my early thirties where I started doing the running and stuff and, you know, things have changed, but uh, I, I, I still prefer running uphill. That's been one of my strengths. I think it's just because of the way my body type is. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you weren't born with uh, with skinny legs like a Koji or some one of those guys. No, no, not at all. <laughs> those, those guys have no leg, leg weight whatsoever. You know, <laughs> those legs are so incredibly skinny. I know. No wonder I they know. run so fast. Yeah, yeah, and they're just so efficient. And you know, speaking of, oh, yeah. of efficiency, um, Gene, I wanted to ask you. You know, how you you mentioned you've kind of been improving with your times over the years. Yep. Um, have you done specific work with your with your technique? um with your with your cross skating or is this just something that's come naturally for you or have you done like specific training to kind of make your body move differently more efficiently yeah i'm a, i'm a real study a, study a student of kinesiology in the sense that i like to look for efficiency so um in the early days when i first started getting into it uh, i um i would go to the uh, youtube videos and i'd see some examples of people practicing proper technique and i would go out at every time and i'd be looking at maybe taking one thing that I want to improve on and I'd spend some time on it when I was out uh, training. So I, I was always looking for efficiency. So I still am today for that matter. Um, you know, I, as I said, I've got some osteoarthritis in my knee. So now I'm trying to adjust my skating so that I'm, I'm up over my, my wheels on my ski in a way that gives me a better center of gravity over the ski while I'm gliding. It seems to be better. It makes it work better for me, you know? So I think we'll, I'll always be like that. I think I'll always be the guy that's uh, listening to his body uh, trying to sense, um, you know, how my balance is. Everything is about balance, as you know. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't get up over the the skier or over the, the the wheel properly, 
uh, with a proper balance, you're not going to you're not going to uh, glide as freely, and it's as simple as that. So, one of the things I think one of the reasons why I'm getting efficient is because um, I never worry about falling. I mean, like uh, you know, I might I've, I've wiped out once or twice when I've maybe uh, let a, a tire touch a tip of my one of my poles and trip over them. I've done that once or twice, but 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 generally speaking, I'm you know I'm so efficient on uh, on my uh, and so balanced on my Nordic skates. The other thing is my, uh, my daughter, my youngest daughter was a professional ballet dancer. So she danced with the Alberta Ballet and she also worked for, danced for a ballet in, um, in China. So ballet is all about balance. And so I used to look at what she was doing and studied, studied what she was doing because uh, that was a big part of you know, trying to translate um, you know, her methods uh, to what I was trying to do and for balance as well. You know? mm-hmm. I take a real interest in that, but like a student of that kind of stuff mentally, I, I can't help myself it's just the way I look at things you know yeah it, it's it's so much fun to be able to to take that knowledge and, and science and everything and just kind of apply it to what you're doing and it, yeah. it really is fun there's a lot of joy there and it just goes to show you it's uh you know you, sh- you can always be learning there's always a way to learn and oh yeah stuff, learn and stuff. Improve, right? yeah and we're never sure. done we're never done for sure yeah yeah my, uh, my friend, Bill Gardner, I mentioned him earlier. He's a, uh, my boss at the Fitness Institute and he was at the 1964 Olympics in Japan for Canada. So that's the guy I'm talking about. Yes. He's the one who got me into cross-country skiing. So, um, because I was in the gym one day, he walks in and he says, you're running marathons. I, I want to get you on skis too. So go out and buy this stuff on the weekend. So I went out and buy skis and, and I went to a golf course and then the next weekend I was uh, at, a, at a race site. <laughs> so, you know, it was pretty crazy, but that's how we did it. But Bill, um, was a hell of a great athlete, incredible athlete. And Bill now is 80 years of age today. Wow. He lives uh, north of Toronto, um, up in Maple. He's got a 25 acre farm. Uh, at the age of 80, um, or last year, 79, uh, he's got his own track setter on his farm. He, he cuts his own trails. Last wow. year, he did 700 kilometers of skiing on his own property trails. You're last kidding. Week. Wow, remarkable. At the age of 79. I mean, Bill is phenomenal. Bill is also a very famous author. So he's written 12 books and he was a, he had a number one bestseller for many years and it was called The Trouble with Canada. So he's a, he's got a PhD in philosophy and English. So he's a very intellectual guy, a very bright guy. And uh, so his writing is quite interesting too. So he's, he's one of these uh, man of all seasons type where he's an, an incredible long distance cyclist too, as well as a cross country skier as you know, he's done everything. This guy's had one full life, I'll tell you. Wow. You certainly keep some interesting company, Gene. That's absolutely. I do. I, I do. bet you've got tons of stories for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like people who, who like ideas, you know, and I yeah. also like people who, who don't want to, there's a lot of people who want to be um, spectators of life. So they want to watch other people do things like theater and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't be a spectator. I don't even watch hockey, for example. I like hockey, but I don't watch it. Um, I'd rather be out doing things, you know, being active myself to me, that's where the joy in life comes. It's not just sitting and watching other people do things all the time, you know? Yeah. I could I couldn't agree more with you. I think that's uh one of the one of the keys to happiness, like you said. It's um, you know, you can sit there and watch and and you can be the the armchair quarterback, if you will, say I could do this, I could do that, but you're not really yeah. you're missing out if you're not trying it yourself. And it doesn't exactly. matter. It, I always tell people, you know, it doesn't matter where like a lot of people will make excuses. Well, I could or I could never do that because I'm not in shape or I'm not this, but we all have to start where we are. And oh uh, yeah, you're not competing against anybody except yourself. So go out and experience stuff, right? Like this yeah. this whole uh Nordic cross skating or even roller skiing is something I, I'd love to try in the future. It's, it sounds really exciting for me. And you know, like running is my primary thing and i love it but i'm always open to trying new things for sure well it'd be a good cross training for you 
Oh yeah, less sure. impact, right? Yeah. yeah, it's very good. If you want to come over, I mean, I'll invite you over if you want. To give me a call later, and once once the weather's a little better, I've got five pairs here. I'll put you on a pair. Sounds like that sounds like sounds like something we can do. Maybe I'll bring yeah, Alex along with me. Yeah, that'd be sweet. <laughs> that'd be good. Sure. Yeah. Next time yeah. I'm up uh, visiting uh, my in-laws, Stephen and Anne, I'll I'll give you exactly. a ring for sure. Yeah. For we, we can meet we can meet a Bob Cajun, and I'll get you on uh, County Road 24. Yeah. Um, and I'll get you on one of the big wheels. I, I think I've still got two of the six inch wheels, so, but I've got two of the, uh, so I've only got four pair now. I sold a pair last year. So, so I've got two pairs that are big wheels and I've got two pairs that are small wheels. Well, we'll, we'll do it for sure. I'm, uh, I'm excited. That about that one. We'll do another podcast about it too. We can talk about my falls. <laughs> 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 so Gene, uh, let's, yeah. let me just ask you a few more questions before we wrap yeah. this up here. Um, I like to do a bit of a rapid fire with my guests here and you're, you're kind of a cross sport guy. So I'll, um, this will apply to both sports, I guess, just a few quick questions here, but um, in terms of running your favorite terrain to run on, do you like road uh, trail or track for running? Uh, I'm a road runner. Yeah. Road runner. Okay. And yeah. what about for the uh, Nordic cross skating? Uh, huh. God, I like it all. Um, you know, prob probably backcountry road, uh, where there's cows I can see going by, like farms, uh, where I can see water, um, and where the trees might be blowing, because I love watching dancing trees. So the wind's up, and I'm, I'm looking at trees now because I'm in the middle of a forest. Right? So yeah. if there's a wind blowing and I can see the trees dancing at the top from the wind, I, that inspires me. I just love it. You know? Um, yeah, I'd say that would be the best. That would be it. It's, all, it's all about the scenery. Eh? Well, it's not that. It's just that uh, there's just you know the, the whole tactile sensation of feeling the wind on your body, of looking up and seeing the trees going with you, you know, of listening to a great podcast, of feeling your body, uh, you, you get into the to, into the rhythm that really is comfortable and you're just floating, you know, and as you're just floating along and you, you know, it's it's almost effortless, you know. Great I love answer, that. Great answer, great. great answer. And I love going up the hills too. I love I love seeing the hills and say, I'm gonna take, and I, I really practice a lot my technique on the hills because that's, that's where the efficiency comes from. I'm getting so good at, on the hills now. Wonderful. Um, and let me ask you too, on your, on your long, uh, skates, do you bring any nutrition or hydration with you and how do you carry that? Uh, just water. If it's a long run, like if I do, if I just do 10 K, I don't take anything. Um, okay. but if I do, if I do anything above 20, you know, say above 15 to 20 K, especially on a warm day, I'll have water with me. I, I do have, um, drink. It's a, it's a powder. It's a protein powder, uh, that has amino acids in it. I put that into the water. I don't like taking power drinks. I don't like sugar uh, in my, my drinks. So I did take that instead. It's very tasty, very inexpensive. It doesn't take much. And I, and I have a, a pack around my waist, a fairly lightweight one there. I, I carry that bottle. Um, but that's it. I don't take any food. Um, I don't need it, you know. Okay. Uh, yeah. Very if good. I'm burning fats, you know, if you're aerobically, you're burning fats. I got enough fat around my, my uh, for the rest of my body. <laughs> I don't have to worry about that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> And, and lastly, do you have any um, post long run indulgences that you like to, to eat when you get back or, or drink? Just a beer. Just a beer. <laughs> and that's the number one common answer cold for that beer. question. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of beer do you like? Cold. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, uh, I like an India pale ale. Yeah, all those are great. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, those in those the ones. summertime, that's my favorite. In the wintertime, I'm more of a, a stout drinker. Like I like, uh, you know, Guinness and those kinds of, but I like experimenting with different scouts and, um, or, or stout drinks. So, yeah. Uh, Wonderful. I don't know if you can yep. hear my uh, my Piper in the background. She's she's, yeah. she's protesting. I think she wants oh, yeah. to go out. <laughs> I also am a coffee snob. 
Oh, are you? So I have an Italian coffee machine. And I, we, we roast our own coffee, so we buy raw bean, we roast the beans, we grind our own beans. Our beans are fresh for the roasting within 48 hours when we, when we make our coffee. Oh, and wow. so the coffee is better than you'll find virtually anywhere. Wow, I, I, you know, I, I thought I upped my coffee game when my wife bought a French press and went back to buying whole beans and grinding them at home, but you're buying <laughs> fresh beans and then roasting them, so. We're doing all of that. You are the master. So, so Gene, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap things up here and I'm just gonna leave you with my uh, customary phrase here at Trail Tales ERP. I'm gonna modify it for you. And that would okay. be to ski wild, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> Trail Tales ERP now has a brand new YouTube channel. You can head over there through our website and check out all our latest videos. And please don't forget to subscribe. If you could also leave us a review on wherever you get our podcast from, that would be greatly appreciated. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at trail underscore tales underscore ARP. And you can also join our Strava running group at Trail Tales ARP. Thank you so much for your continued support. Run wild.